like many, my, my preconceptions of Revelation have to do with, with the end of the world. Um, usually with like video games having to do with the end of the world. And like post-apocalyptic video games, just to share a little bit. Um, also with the, some of you may remember, um, The Late Great Planet Earth, which was published in the 60s and 70s, one of the most popular, best-selling books of all time, um, which supposedly was about Revelation, but was really about um, seeing the Soviet Union in the Book of Daniel. And so um, it was all that, like, oh, the Book of Daniel predicts that the Soviet Union is going to invade China. And because of that, um, you know, at the very end, they talk about Revelation. But that idea of uh, this kind of predictive of the end of the world and the end times, and we need to, to get ready. That's so often how, you know, the Re- Book of Revelation is, is presented. I grew up in a time when the fervor of, of left behind was going on. It wasn't going on in my church growing up, but I knew a lot of people at school and I always saw those books at half-price books. People kept on selling them back. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a lot of them. And, and then as I studied theology, learned about the history of dispensationalist theology. And dispensationalist theology is basically that all of human history is a certain set of periods or dispensations. And there are seven total. And the first one was the period of innocence, which happened until the fall, and the period of, of conscience, and so on and so on, until now we're in the dispensation of grace. And then soon will be the, um, the dispensation of the millennial kingdom, which is different from a kingdom of millennials <laughs> in general. But just uh, it would be interesting, like, what are the comparisons between the kingdom of millennials and the millennial kingdom? But, um, but these, these ways of reading the book of Revelation are not stupid ways. And I think it's easy, if you didn't experience it, to might almost dismiss it entirely. It's very complex. I want to show a chart of the book of Revelation that I found. So, yeah. And so this might, like, could be a diagram of an atom or something like that. There's a lot of details going on. This is not something to be radically dismissed. But it doesn't go back that far in history. Understanding the book of Revelation as this kind of pure uh, description and prediction of what is going to happen in a certain set of time really only goes back to the early 19th century. A, a Scottish immigrant to the United States named John Darby. Uh, really kind of started preaching the style and really the influential and all, all, a, lot of, a lot of influence came after that. This reading doesn't go back to the first century. This is not how the original audience would have read this book. And whether you, so whether you grew up in the church and usually didn't hear about it but knew it was at the very end or whether or not you, you didn't grow up in the church and this God thing is something, something new and strange, there is something special in this book. I want to encourage you about it. It is not just health, it's not like hellfire and brimstone made manifest. There is life and hope found here. Revelation is about our identity more than anything else. My, what is the source of our identity? What is the source of your identity? My friends, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. I'm going to try to explain it. That's the, the name of the sermon series, the book of Revelation Explained. <laughs> it's meant, meant to be provocative. I don't, probably not going to get all the details. I'm not going to give you a chart like this at the end so that you'll know when the date is that you should be ready. Um, this is, a, this is a, not a scary book. It doesn't have to be. It is a beautiful book. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you an overview of it. I encourage you, if you have a chance, to read along as you can. 
I can't, you know, preach on every text in it, so I'm going to go from here to there, but just to kind of read with fresh eyes, and that's one of the reasons of writing down your preconception. In a little bit, uh, we're going to have a chance to, to take our preconceptions and put them in a bowl of water and watch them dissolve. This is fancy dissolving paper. Um, and you have to stir it with a spoon. That's something I learned from the 8 a.m. service. You can't just set it there. <laughs> or else you, you put it in, and you stir it with a spoon, and then it, then it dissolves. But we let those, want to encourage us to let those preconceptions dissolve away so that we can be open to God doing something new in this text. As well, each week as we do this series, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate communion because I think it is essential for us to understand how the book of Revelation is connected to our liturgy. Liturgy means the work of the people. It's what we do as a people of God as we break bread together, we share together. And this bread is not just for the now, it's not just for our sustenance, but it points to a, a foretaste of our heavenly banquet. And it's not just about our future, it's about the kingdom of heaven in breaking now in this space. As well, as a musician, I love the book of Revelation because it's filled with songs. There's so many songs. After everything that happens, there's another song that happens, another alleluia, another glory to God that goes on and on and on. And the final image is not this image of violence or destruction or the kind of cliche. If you do a Google image search of the book of Revelation, you're not going to get a lot of people singing. It's a lot, of, a lot of fires and devils and four horsemen. But that is not the end. The end is in the glorious anthem to God. The end is in prayer to God. The last word is literally amen. The last word of scripture, the last word of God for us. It is done. We have been made new. So we're going to look at how the book of Revelation is both in the future, but already present with us. It is soon and near, but has in fact, and in part, already occurred in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This isn't just about the future, but about reality, about our reality right now. It is about contrasting true and false views of reality. As Richard Bauckham writes, the book of Revelation counters that false view of reality by opening the world to divine transcendence. That is what we see goes on here. It comes back to our identity. Are we primarily citizens of this world, citizens of Austin, citizens of the U.S., citizens of whichever country we are from, or are we primarily citizens of heaven? There is a destiny beyond the present, and we can live into that destiny now. In the Gospel of Mark today, we see that, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, Sabbath. And this gets us to the title of the message, the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's not that he's a part of a fraternity. He is the beginning and the end, this beautiful phrase. And when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath in the Gospel of Mark, he is saying that I am the one who created. I am over all of creation. When we practice Sabbath, we admit to ourselves and offer ourselves to our Creator. Thus, the importance of Sabbath rest. Jesus is staking his claim to us as Lord of heaven and earth in this simple act. Sabbath is not about preparing us for more work. Sabbath is about being with God. Sabbath is an act of creation. To create means to rest in our creation. 
Any of you who have ever made anything knows that. When you make a meal for someone, you rest and enjoy it. It may not be long before people scarf it down, but there's that moment. (laughs) It's not finished until you can acknowledge that it's finished. When you make a piece of art, when you write a piece of music, when you paint a house and you realize, I'm done painting. I have painted everything that needs to be painted. There's that moment of accomplishment, of it's finished, of resting in that. That is, Jesus is the Lord of our time, of our rest, of all of it. And when God rested, God offered us creation, offered it all to us. And this saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, is not saying that the old laws do not apply, but I am the one who created you. The Sabbath was not made for humankind. Was not, the Sabbath was not made for humankind, but humankind for the Sabbath. I think I got those inverted, but my point, I hopefully, is clear. <laughs> All of our life can be redeemed, and I think that's what he gets to is that we don't have to segment off, as he tells the story of David, when David's troops were starving. They didn't have to starve to death because of the rule, but life was offered in the midst of it. As Richard Bauckham also says, it is John's reader's concrete day-to-day world, seen in the heavenly and eschatological perspective. And eschatological is a big word for the last things. So the eschatological perspective is perspective of the last things. As such, it functions as a counter to the Roman imperial view of the world. And so in the book of Revelation, we have these two views of the world. We have the Roman view of the world. The Roman view of where the emperor is the most important thing in the world. Where doing your duty to the government is the most important thing in the world. And then you have the world revealed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A world that opens us up to a greater possibility that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that there is life available to each of us. We have this view where we must give fealty to every authority on the Roman view. And the other one where we are offered up hope and offered up possibility. We have this one view where all, we are automatons without agency, which cannot speak. And this other view where we are given the voice to speak to others, to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And ultimately we have this one view where violence wins, where whoever is strongest wins, wherever has the largest army is the most important. And, and the final view, the view of the triune God, the view of Jesus Christ descending again, is that in the end, creation is restored. Life is offered to all. And there's something more for each of us. The book of Revelation is at first a series of letters. And he says that. John says that. It's a series of letters. It's usually not read as a letter, um, but that's what it is. It's a letter to the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And usually, if you're going to do a sermon series on the book of Revelation, it's like you pick out each of those letters. And you do, I'm going to do one to, about the letter to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and that's in the very beginning. But, But that's not... The letters are not limited to the very beginning of the book. The whole book is a letter. The whole book was a circulating letter to be shared to each of these churches. And I probably preached the, uh, about the letter to Laodicea five times in my short career in ministry. And that's the one where, where Jesus says, You, Laodicea, you are neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to spit you out. 
You're lukewarm. And that's so often I felt like that's a word I need. That sometimes I feel lukewarm, sometimes my churches feel lukewarm, and I need to, to do it, to go punch and challenge in that kind of way. But the whole, the whole letter points us in that. It's not limited to this. All of it is sharing this news and sharing in that kind of way. The book of Revelation is also a, um, a prophecy. And a prophecy is not just a prediction of what's going to happen in the future. A prophecy is a word from God for a people. So the prophets in the Old Testament, it was not just this, these bad things are going to happen, but God says this to you. A prophet is a vessel of the word of God to a people. And finally, it is an apocalypse. An apocalypse doesn't mean something that is going to be destroyed. It doesn't mean zombies or things like that. I don't know. Maybe you wrote zombies down. That'd be pretty cool. But it's not. It, it means something being revealed. And so, like, imagine this is a curtain going all the way down. Okay? You can't see me. You can't see me. If I was Ephraim, I'd be like, no one is there. <laughs> but then it's like, oh, it drops. It has been revealed. That is an apocalypse. That's all an apocalypse is. It's something being revealed. And so it's like when you go to a play and they lift the curtain, that's an apocalypse. That is something being revealed. But that is, that is what's going on here. The true reality, the true nature of reality is being revealed. Our eyes are being open, not just to a future, but to the reality of our present to the reality of the lordship of Jesus Christ in our present. Even though there's so many curtains that block our view. And there's so much brokenness and tragedy that block our view. There is, there is violence in this book. There is violence. And it's not pretty. But it's also there's violence in this world. There's violence and brokenness in this world. There is disease and destruction and people who die young and people who don't deserve to die and people who go to prison falsely and people who are kicked out of their homes for things they have nothing to do with. And if we deny that existence, we are living in the fantasy world. If we pretend that there isn't brokenness and violence in this world, we are living in the fantasy. We are pulling the curtain over our eyes. And that curtain needs to be torn. That curtain needs to be torn and reality needs to be revealed. And the amazing thing about the book of Revelation is destruction does not win. The destroyers do not win. They don't have the last, last word. They don't even have most of the words. Most of the words, again, are singing songs of joy, songs of thanksgiving. The fact that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, our beginning and our end, and that the forces of destruction do not have final say over us. And Jesus offers us rest. As well, we are offered the body and blood of Christ at this table. We are offered the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation at this table. At this table, we have a foretaste of our heavenly feast, as well as food for the heavenly kingdom here. The world is being made new. The world is being made holy. This meal is about more than our present. This meal is about our future. And over the next few weeks, as we celebrate communion, as we look at this challenging book of the Bible together, we're going to focus on a different aspect of the liturgy each week. 
on the call and response, the Lord be with, with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. On that section, on the holy, 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 on the Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. On the congregational, amen. On each of these sections, connect to a part of the book of Revelation. But today we are setting the table. We're setting the table. A few minutes ago I asked you to write down your preconception of the book of Revelation. Now I want you to take another chance to get this piece of paper and flip it over and to think about a preconception of what God can do with your life. What is a limit you have put on God? Maybe it is a preconception about how often you can pray. I can't pray that much, God. I can't give that much. I can't serve that much. Maybe it's a preconception about belief. Maybe it's a preconception about sharing your faith. Write down one of the limits that you have put on God, that I have put on God. God offers us freedom from those limits. God shows us and tells us that those limits are from our head and from the world and from this broken curtain that is blocking us from seeing reality. They are not from God. But nothing is impossible for God. And when you're done, there are two stations of water. I'm going to ask Tyler if he could play a little from 534, just in the background. A little Finlandia. Um, so I'm going to ask you, as you write down, and as, as Tyler plays, we're going to, everyone, if you feel comfortable, to come and have a chance to come and bring your preconception and put it in the pool of water. And as it sits there for a second, you can stir it away. It doesn't take long, and then it's gone. And so no one behind you needs to see it. No one's going to see it. No one's peeking over shoulders looking at that. That is, that is not the point. The point is to let that go. Let that go and open ourselves up. Maybe something else is going on here. Maybe something else is going on in this book. This book that I thought had nothing to do with me. This book had to do with all those other people, not with me. And maybe there's something else going on with me. Maybe God has something else to do with me. So as I close and as I pray, we're going to have that time. And just take, take as long as you need. God offers us freedom. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Our end is not in destruction, but in the God who is love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.